Hi, this is Delegate Eric Ludke, Majority Leader in the Maryland House of Delegates. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, and despite Michael Sanderson's terrible sense of humor, it is one of the best sources of political and policy news in the state of Maryland. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we have had the pleasure of being back in the Conduit Street offices for, I think, the past few weeks. We are remote again today, but for good reason. We have a special guest with us. But how are you today? How are things holding up over in Severna Park? Everything is okay up this direction. How about you? Doing well back down here, holding down the fort in Annapolis. And today, Michael, I'm very excited. This is sort of a bucket list item for me personally, and I know for you and the podcast. We're going to talk political polls today, but we're not just going to talk about the latest results from Maryland's own Goucher College poll. We're going to discuss the nuts and bolts of political polls, a behind-the-scenes look, if you will, and we may along the way even debunk some myths that we often hear about political polls. And Michael, there is no one better to talk us through all of this than Dr. Malia Cromer. She's the director of the Sarah T. Hughes Field Politics Center at Goucher College and the overseer of every aspect of the Goucher poll. Dr. Cromer, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. This is a bucket list for me, too. Wow. Well, this is, this is maybe a little too much of the Mutual Admiration Society, but for the benefit of our listeners, Dr. Chroma, can, can you sort of set the table a little bit about Goucher College and where you and the Politics Center sort of fit in and, and how long you've been engaged in polling? Tell us about you and, and what got you into this role where you're a must-have guest, and that's exactly who you are. That's, well, that's really kind. Um, so I guess to start at the start, um, I went to graduate school at Louisiana State University where I got my first sort of taste of public opinion polling. I got a job at their public policy research center that did a Louisiana survey every single year. And so that was my first sort of taste of statewide polling. After I finished my PhD, um, my area of expertise was state politics and um, uh, survey research. I got a job at Elon University, and they conduct a pretty well-known statewide poll, the Elon University poll that does North Carolina politics. I was there for four years as the assistant director, and then an advertisement for Goucher College. They were looking for an assistant professor of political science and somebody to run the Sarah T. Hughes Field Politics Center and build a survey research center under those auspices came up, and my husband... um, uh, was living with me. We were living together in North Carolina at the time, and he was ready to get the heck out of there. He hated it there, and so he was thrilled. He was like, "He's like, yes, please apply to this job. I'd love to live in Baltimore." And so I applied to the job, and I got the job. And in 2012, it, um, that October was our first Goucher College poll, and so I built everything from the ground up. I mean, I, I ordered the headsets, I designed, um, <laughs> and I figured out what methodology you're going to use. I recruited student workers. I did all this, you know, and got it off the ground and running. And our first poll, we released it, and I was so excited. And then uh, Hurricane Sandy came, and I sat helplessly at home and watched reporters on television sort of talking about how the rain and not talking about the Goucher College poll, and it was completely devastating. Things have obviously changed. Uh, now we have become, I think, one of the most cited polls in the state, and that's 
just from trying to put out high quality research um, uh, as frequently as we possibly can. It really, usually it's twice a year. So we do two big polls a year of statewide issues. That's been our bread and butter. I have resisted, um, resisted the idea of like trying to do national polls. And I really felt strongly that um, every state needed an independent measure of public attitudes. And so I believe very strongly that's what the Sarah T. Hughesville Politics Center at Goucher College gives to the state is that's what Goucher poll, the Goucher poll is. It's a way for us to contribute to the public discourse and civic life of the state. North Carolina politics and political polling is fascinating right now, too. I'm sure you wouldn't mind dipping your toes back down there for a bit, <laughs> especially at the moment. But I mean, they Michael, can't have they, her. no, we're not. Can't, we're, no, Maryland no. is not giving her up. No, I don't want to go no. back. I don't want to go back. <laughs> I'm sure you're watching, though. I'm sure you're watching. But yeah, I mean, you say one of the top polls, most cited polls in Maryland. I mean, to me, and I, I think Michael would say the same, the Goucher College poll is the poll in Maryland. And it's it's. It's incredible what you've built. And again, we're talking to you today because you just did release your latest poll. Michael, you and I were looking through those results, and I think some of them are quite interesting. As always, um, I, I think Dr. Cromer's being a little bit modest to say she's, you know, one of the things that, that political type people in Maryland look toward. I mean, this is it. This is, this is the, the big grand, you know, the grand opening. And, and she ends up being, you know, a, a big media figure for several days during a multi-day reveal of results and a discussion and so forth. So, I mean, we're, we're privileged to be in, in the middle of your big roadshow. And I, I'll just say, you know, your northward drift is, is Maryland's gain. So we're glad you were able to shift from the parishes of Louisiana to talking about the counties up here in Maryland and delighted that you've made a home and, and really made a name for yourself and for the center uh, in Maryland politics. So uh, all the good for us. And we're thrilled to have you here to talk about uh, this iteration of the poll. So, I mean, let's, let's get into a few things. You know, what do people always want to know about first? What's, what's, what seems to be the, the, the sexiest topic from, from this go-round? Well, I, you know, I think it varies clearly from poll to poll. And so what we've really tried to do, and I think um, what has helped us gain a reputation in the state, is that um, I do play, obviously pay really close attention to what politicians are talking about. Um, and so this poll certainly reflects that. Um, I've been following pretty closely the working the working groups in the General Assembly and they're addressing the, as they work to address police reform issues. So I think that there's a lot of topics there for us to talk about. Um, and also, I mean, COVID-19 has dramatically changed all of our lives. And I was interested in the, sort of the state's response. And I think a lot of people are interested in the state's response because it's sometimes difficult um, to discern sort of uh, for, for politicians to figure out like how do you balance like what the public wants but versus what is best for public health and that I think probably for this poll that those are the two big topics we use but there are there are issues that come up on every single poll that people love so it's obviously like gubernatorial approval rating is something that people I know wait for and then the direction of the state and the most important issues facing the state those are all we're going to ask those on every single Goucher poll and those have been sort of fun to follow longitudinally so to see how that, that number has ebbed and flowed, or in Hogan's case, not ebbed and flowed over time. <laughs> so I guess that's a pretty common tactic in this kind of polling then, that you have a few staples that twice a year you run up the flagpole and ask Marylanders about things like the, the approval rating of the current governor and some other basics so you can do apples to apples over time. And then 
like these issues with the pandemic that we're in, uh, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no uh, parallel between that question you might have asked recently and a year ago or four years ago. But still, it's it's an insight into the you know the the mind of Marylanders and what they're thinking and what their priorities are. So you you do a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B every go round. I do, and I will tell you that um, just like public policy is incredibly hard to craft. Um, public opinion polls that ask about public policy questions are also really tough. Uh, and so it's so easy just to, you know, the approval rating stuff is easy, right? The direction stuff is easy. Um, where it gets hard as a pollster is trying to write a question that um, both is specific enough that people know what you're asking about, but also general enough that you can easily transfer it over the phone. Um, because keep in mind, I mean, this is a, just like we're talking today on this podcast, like you can't read what I'm saying. And so you have, when you're writing these policy questions, you have to be really careful to keep that in mind that you don't have the, the, the respondent doesn't have the ability to read over the question a few times that you're just asking them over the phone. And you mentioned police reform and police issues. I know this was a big topic of the, the latest iteration of the poll. And from what I can tell, it seems that Maryland residents are largely supportive of the key police reforms that are currently being discussed also, though, you know, Marylanders hold police in high regard. At least that's what the results of your latest poll showed. What do you what do you see? Break that down a little bit. I know you asked some really specific questions, and I think this is one where you really have to think about the way to present these questions, especially as you get down in the weeds for the actual questions that were asked. But talk about the results when it comes to police issues amongst Marylanders. Right. And so I think the most important thing I, I would note to that, just as an overall view, is that police reform issues aren't inherently anti-police. They're about reform. And so if you think about how to, so sometimes I, I heard that before when people were like, oh, there seems to be a disconnect. How do 66% of Marylanders hold a favorable view of police, but at the same time support all these, um, these reforms? And it's because it's, uh, the reforms are, um, are grounded in wanting to make policing better in the state. And so Marylanders view, by and large, things like uh, creating statewide use of force policies, having police officers undergo racial bias training, requiring um, that police misconduct cases are disclosed to the public or to other law enforcement agencies. These are all mechanisms that Marylanders support, but are also are about reforming or making policing better. So I think that's how I would reconcile those two things. It seems like Marylanders have mostly avoided, you know, this this discussion at the national level where it's on you're on one team or the other, right? It seems like so much of the national discourse has gone that way. But you're saying Marylanders seem to be able to separate the two. And yes, the police are, are viewed in a high regard, but also they could maybe do some things better. At least that's what the, the latest poll shows from Goucher College. That, that's what I think that's what our poll, polls certainly show. And then even with some of these issues, some of these items that received um, really high support, you're even seeing, you're seeing a majority of Republicans get behind this as well. So for example, the statewide use of force uh, question, whether you support or oppose um, that, you know, you have, uh, we, have we have over 50% of Republicans supporting it, um, 89% of Democrats, um, and supporting a, a racial bias training for police officers, 63% of Republicans support that as well. So some of these items, I mean, they're going to be really hotly contested, obviously, when the General Assembly goes back into session. Um, some of these items are just really, or there's a popular across the board. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Now, I don't believe, and I'm, uh, I believe two things at the same time. I believe that public opinion matters and that 
uh, that our lawmakers um, need to be aware of the attitudes of those who they represent. But I also think that it's okay um, for lawmakers to sort of push forward, even if there is a little bit of backlash from the public, but it's also it's their responsibility then to get the public, to convince the public that they're right, that their, that their policy is right for the state. And I think that there's always um, the, the art of writing good poll questions. Um, and I, I'm sure you could probably do a full hour long episode on, on the, how that is, you know, some magical blend of art and science. But the, the ability to try and convey a complicated topic like these in a reasonably phrased question, to be fair, you want these results to be reflective of the issue in a fair way. I know people around the Maryland political circle who literally walk around with sheets of paper with the cross tabs and so forth every time the Goucher poll comes out. And a lot of people want to know, well, how was that phrased? I, I heard it was, you know, 68% said this and that sounds great, but what, what did it actually say? That's a healthy part of the process, don't you think? It's, it is absolutely, you're right. Like it is the art part of the science uh, behind the whole thing. Uh, it's a great way to describe it. I've always, I've always described it. Um, I, I certainly don't think that um, my question wording is perfect by any stress of the imagination. Uh, there's, there's complaints to be leveled um, for every pollster's work. And it's particularly, um, especially on these public policy issues, because, you know, the, how you frame it matters. My goal is to try to ask it in a neutral, non-biased way. Um, I rip my hair out trying to do it. I'm on sabbatical this year from teaching, but um, in, in, in other years that, you know, that what I'm actually teaching and I use this as a classroom teaching tool and the students um, are my best focus group. They rip apart the questions. They try to point out biases. They administer the questions to one another. And we try to see like how the, the questions sound. And all these things are, I think, important. Um, and I, but I also think more than anything, it's important to be transparent. And it's great to hear that people look at the results but I have made it um, my goal uh, to make sure that people at least knew or know exactly where they're com- what they get with the Goucher poll. Like I put the demographics of the sample right up front. I put the questions as worded really uh, clearly in the order in which they're received. And then I provide full cross tabs. Um, and that way that if you, you can look at the question and you can decide from the way that I worded the question, what you think about the results. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier that the governor's approval rating has remained very, very high. He's a Republican. This is a state that Democrats hold a two-to-one advantage when it comes to registered voters, but the governor's approval rating remains high. I know you also asked a question about the presidential race. Talk a little bit about national politics, and then if you like, a little bit more about the governor's approval rating, and and it it really has remained remarkably high since he's been elected. Sure. Um, You know, just to start off with the... um the presidential race. I mean, you mentioned like the joke before about me not going back to North Carolina. I don't want to go back to North Carolina because everybody pulls North Carolina. Um, <laughs> all these larger national firms come in and they pull. Um, one of the great things about polling Maryland, it's basically us and the Washington Post that are probably the two, you know, they get the most traction in the state. Um, and it, it's because Maryland's, listen, Maryland's not a swing state. Uh, the, the question isn't whether Joe Biden's going to win. It's whether Joe Biden wins by a historic margin. That's not surprising. If you're President Trump and you have barely broken 30% approval rating here in the state, you can't expect to really gain that much traction. And his, that's the president's problem nationwide is his, his inability to expand the base. And so, right. And so, but that's the exact opposite problem that Larry Hogan has. 
So Larry, the, the secret to Larry Hogan's success is that he's been able to maintain strong support from Republicans, strong appeal to independents, but consistently put up numbers above 50% with Democrats in the electorate. And that's that Hogan coalition, like his electoral coalition, um, he has held together strongly um, since about, I mean, since voters really got to know him. So, you know, our first time we measured his approval rating was back in February of 2015. And he was more popular than unpopular, but he had a huge amount of don't knows. By September of that year is when you start to see that like he was at 58% by September. And then from there, he has not dropped into the 50s since. And that's because of the, the, the ability to piece together a coalition of supporters. I mean, that is one of those numbers that grabs attention nationwide. And we hear, you know, th- this governor in, on a short list of the nation's most popular. Um, I, so earlier on, you mentioned questions of the moment that relate to the current pandemic. And I'm sure some of that would be maybe the governor's measures to handle it. But can you walk us through some of the questions that were on this poll and how Marylanders responded to, you know, ripped from today's headlines, people are talking about the, the, the COVID and coronavirus issue. Um, what, what did you find out from Marylanders in that area? Sure. You know, I listen, the big thing is the reopening question, right? So that has been, if anything, like the most contentious issue here in the state, right? So you have protesters back in May um, with the reopen Maryland crowd, um, was trying to force the governor to reopen restaurants and um, businesses uh, sooner. Then you have folks on the other end of the spectrum who are really concerned right now with the sort of pace of reopening. Um, we asked Marylanders about the, the open, reopening of businesses. We didn't specify, we didn't say schools, but businesses. And it's, uh, it turns out 58% of um, Marylanders say that we are on about, about right. The pace has been about right in terms of how the government, ha- state government has handled reopening. Now, there's, there's a lot of widespread partisan agreement on the about rights, but where you see the division happening is on the two ends of the two slowlies and the two quicklies. So 16% say too slowly, um, and 23% say too quickly. And that falls pretty, I mean, you can see the partisan differences. Um, it's mostly, Democrats think too quickly, um, where Republicans think too slowly. And so that's, and this, I, you, I mean, I think anybody who's been paying attention are not surprised by this. The President of the United right. States, the Republican President of the United States, that's his message, right? That we need to reopen these states more quickly than they, are, than they have been. The governor has resisted calls from the president. I mean, they're a member of the same political party, but again, his approval rating remains very high. And it seems like most people think that he's done a pretty good job handling Maryland's COVID response, at least when it comes to the pace of reopening the economy, if you will. So any other interesting tidbits, Dr. Cromer? I mean, I always find it fascinating, too, that you release most of these polls in different phases. So you make us wait, right? You tease them really well. Anything else that you found really interesting? As you said, Maryland is really not uh, up for grabs when it comes to the presidential election, but any other big issues in the news that you found people's opinions to be pretty interesting? Well, sure. Um, And I'll tell you, and we can talk a little bit about the three-part release in a second, why we do the things we do. There's always a method to the madness. Um, uh, (laughs) So one of the things I thought was really interesting um, is how many Marylanders think that wearing a mask and social distancing helps stop the spread of coronavirus. This is widespread support. 89% of Marylanders believe this. If you wear a mask and you social distance, you can help stop the spread. 
And I think that this is probably very welcome news from to the Maryland Health Department and all the different county health departments who've been really trying to encourage people to be compliant with the law, to wear the masks. Um, and that's a good thing. So as much as the we love to highlight the run random person who's like screaming about not wanting to wear a mask and it's infringing on their liberty, most Marylanders know, understand that like this is a, a, a thing that we do for public health. And that's a good thing because you, you have to have public buy-in for these types of law. I mean, it's not like we're going to go around and force, like, I don't know how heavily handed you could enforce a law like this. So it's important to have public buy-in for it. So that stood out to me as, the, as a really big finding on the poll. And then do you want to know about the three-part release? <laughs> Of course. Yeah, did. dish it up. Go, go. That's why we're yeah. here. I'm sorry for keeping everybody up till 12.01 a.m. It's like I don't. No, you're not sorry. I don't buy that for a minute. You love it. I'm not. I am too. sorry. You have to understand that I am. Um, I'm an early bird. I'm not a night owl. So this all originated and I like to blame um, Robert Lang from WBAL. I always blame him for this. He once suggested to me, he told uh, we were talking. He's like, you know, Malia. If you could release this at 12.01 a.m., we could run it on the morning drive time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, are you, oh. And I, it had just dawned on me that was, he's like, it would be actually really great. And I was like, oh, anything for you, Robert Lang. Because he said he's such a nice guy. And I, I thought about it. I was like, ah, he's right. And so I decided, it was a couple years ago that I just decided, I was like, well, we're going to do 12.01 releases. Our communications team, I'm sure at Goucher, just, i Bless them. They were the nicest and the most hardworking staff um, for any college communications team, and they put up with my nonsense. And so they, one of our staffers stays up, too, to make sure that it goes out. Her name is Tara D'Souza, and she's lovely, and she goes above and beyond. So, we, and we, so that's one thing. We do the 1201 release because it's really great for morning drive time radio and also because of print. Um, and then secondarily, we do the three-part release because if you um, – because polls have a really limited shelf life. So I get a boom of coverage in one day, but rarely coverage the second day. So I'm not going to give you everything on Monday to only, uh, and then you forget about it on Tuesday. So I'm going to give you a little bit of Monday and a little bit of Tuesday. Cause if not stuff gets lost and this, I don't want to get anything to get lost. I work really hard on this. <laughs> we don't want anything to get lost. And that's why we do it the way we do. And so I'm sorry for everybody who stays up late, but you know, I guess blame Robert Lang. <laughs> yeah, our friend Robert Lang, he is responsible. He can, everybody can blame him. But no, I think that's, that's really intuitive. And of course, it makes sense to, to maximize the coverage. Another thing that, that is a hallmark, a fun hallmark, is you almost always manage to weasel in one or two sort of punchy and amusing questions. Um, you know, opinions about Old Bay and, and things, things of that nature come to mind. So, I mean, tell us, you know, in, in this round, did you have something along those lines or things in recent polls that have been, you know, amusing to poll Marylanders on? Well, listen, uh, 2020 is the year of no fun whatsoever. And so when the poll was already in the field, I realized that I forgot to put a fun question on the poll. And I was like, well, that isn't that just perfect for this having zero fun at all. This is that year. That is, this is that year. I I have been trying. You're right. I haven't been trying in the past to try. Like I figure, you know what? We'll do Maryland. So I I call them like they're fun, but they're Maryland culture questions that I'm going to try to. Just be, listen, we're a poll of Maryland, um, proudly Maryland, 
And so I'd like to add, like, ask things that Marylanders might find interesting and nobody else will. The, the best one we've ever done um, was the Old Bay seasoning question. And it ha- like, I was like, I'm going to run the favorability rating of Old Bay. It was off the charts. It got a ton of press coverage. It got more, <laughs> it got in the Washington Post, I think. It was like ridiculous um, because Marylanders love it. I mean, they love Old Bay, clearly. Um, I've asked about baseball in the past. Um, and I always think that's challenging because then reporters will ask me about baseball and I have poorly informed opinions on it. I just basically regurgitate things that I heard my husband say to make my seem like I sound like I sound informed. You shouldn't ask me any sports questions. And then we also asked about people's favorite seasons. And just because like one of, I, cause I hate the fall. I, I hate the most popular season apparently according to Marylanders. So those things are really fun. I hate fall. It's a stupid season. It's terrible. We had a long discussion about the, the season question, and I know people are still walking around Annapolis talking about the Old Bay favorability rating amongst Marylanders. So that one people have not forgotten about. I, I agree it's probably the, the, the most talked about one and, and got a ton of press. But I think that's a really good place to take a break. We've gone through the latest poll results. We, we know how Marylanders feel about a lot of these big issues. When we come back, we're going to get into some nuts and bolts. We'll also debunk some myths. All that and more after the break. This is John Frenet with Ion Annapolis to let you know about our daily news brief podcast. If you want to keep up on Annapolis area local news, local weather, and local events, check us out. We produce episodes every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and deliver them right to your phone or computer for free. You can also catch them on our Facebook page, All Annapolis, or under the podcast category at ionanapolis.net. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So, if you want to keep up to speed on Mayor Buckley, County Executive Pittman, Navy football, maybe you're looking for a weekend thing to do, or if you just want to catch the hyper-local weather, give a listen to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. And today, Dr. Malia Cromer is joining us. We're talking about all things polling. Dr. Cromer, I want to get into some nuts and bolts stuff when it comes to polls. First, I mean, we talked about, a little bit about this on the front end, but the design and the delivery of the prompting questions. I know a lot of time goes into this, but also, you know, how do you make sure that your folks there at the center when they're calling people, how do you make sure that that question is delivered perfectly every time? Is that just something that you rely on the experience of your team and, and you rely and trust your team to make sure that they get it right? And if they don't get it right, what happens at that point? <laughs> um, okay, so a couple of things. So for the first eight years of the Goucher poll, um, we, did, we had an in-house call center where students did the calling. So one of the, one of the many things that I did with my, my, my day job was train students to conduct phone survey interviews. Uh, and that was a, a tough job. Um, and I would sit and I would actually be in the lab, physically be in the lab for all the hours that we called in the Goucher poll. So we called, um, a typical call session would be um, on Saturdays and Sundays would call from like one o'clock to nine o'clock. And then on Monday through Fridays, we would call from four o'clock to nine. And I would be in the, sit, watch, sit in the room and walk around and listen to the kids make the phone calls. They, they do a good job. It's smart. They're smart students. They're happy to have a job and make money. Um, but so anyway, that was how we, for years, we did it that way. Um, moving forward, 
um, we made a decision. So we have to grow. So the voucher pool, um, we have to make sure the model is sustainable moving forward. And Goucher College has really pushed forward with a curriculum um, that has had a, uh, is having a heavier data analytics component, which I'm very supportive of. I think it's great. And so what we're going to do moving forward is that we're no longer going to have the, the poll conducted on campus by our, our professionally trained student interviewers, but we're going to have a professional call center do the calling for us. So we will, I, I still design all the surveys, the students, the team of students and I will still design all the surveys. Um, I design the methodology. So um, um, with, you know, we do the dual frame random sample. It's heavy cell, lightly aligned, stratified by county to make sure that we're reaching um, across the entire state in the, in the appropriate proportions. But a cost, a professional call center will actually do the calling. They give the data back to me. I do the weighting to make sure that the, it looks like the, the gout looks like Maryland does in the back end. And then what we'll do once I get back from sabbatical, um, a team of students and I will, uh, I'll, I'll teach them how to actually run the analysis and to write about the analysis because writing about data, as you know, both as policy professionals is a really great skill for students to have. And so that's the new, the new kind of the new goal for the Goucher poll is I'm trying to train a smaller amount of students to be really data literate, to be able to design surveys, run the analysis, and then write about the results in a really proficient manner. So the great people out there who work for policy advocacy can hire our Goucher students. Mm, that sounds like Goucher students sound like the perfect profile for future MAKO policy team members with Kevin and myself. So we'll, we'll, we'll put, a, put a pin in that for the moment. But, uh, um, We'd love to, listen, we would love to send you one of some of our students. Absolutely. Data and analytics are the future. Everything now is driven by data and analytics. But one of the things I often hear is, you know, people talk about polls and a lot of times people are, are very down on the polling process. And sometimes people don't trust the polls because the big one is, well, nobody called me. No one has ever called me for a political poll. So nobody knows what I think, how I think. So these polls must be bogus. I don't even have a friend, people say, that they've gotten a call for a poll. So talk a little bit about why that is a myth and why okay. we should discount that theory. I would tell you as a pollster, uh, you hear how these people say, like, I wish I was, why, why am I never called? Um, it, it's, it stands at such a juxtaposition of the fact that, you know, we struggle with response rate. Like, we struggle to get people to take the survey. It's not as if everybody calls is like, oh, hooray, thank you for calling out your poll. I'd love to take your survey. You know, we have to convince these folks to take, a, take the survey. And so when you hear people say, oh, oh they wish they would have called me, I'm like, oh, listen, I wish I would have called you too. Um, but you unfortunately didn't get sucked into the sample. So I think about it this way. Um, so, you know, we have, think about the millions of people who live in Maryland. You know, we're going to draw a random sample, um, usually around like 20,000 phone numbers. And, uh, so, and from those 20,000, you know, we will call for the week. You, you purposely try to you, uh, you, um, stagger how you're calling because you want to give every phone number an equal opportunity to be a yes. So you draw the random sample. So, so cell phones and landlines are great because they give almost full coverage of the state. So almost everybody you know has a cell phone or a landline. So you can randomly select individuals from almost full coverage. You call for the week. Um, if somebody doesn't answer, you try to call back at different times to try to give them that chance to actually pick up the phone. 
Um, you hopefully, I mean, in the past, we've had really sort of nice students on the other, other, other end of the line. Live caller is really helpful. Have, instead of having an automated voice, you have a live caller saying, you know, hello, I'm calling from Goucher College in Baltimore County, Maryland. You're more, people are more likely to say yes to that. Um, and at the end of the week, because of the, um, because of the science behind random sampling, you end up with respondents who look like Maryland demographically. And so, yeah, I understand like the frustration of people who want to be called, but the folks I think who are dying to be called sometimes are like the political junkies who like, can't get enough of it. They love it. Um, and they may not be, <laughs> maybe they're not uh, like the average Marylander. I wish I could call them though. <laughs> so, make my life easier. Uh, so now I have like I have like fifteen different questions. For, forgive me, this is a little bit of a basic question, but you and your team building a list of randomly selected phone numbers and re and reaching out to those people. I mean, that's the gold standard for finding a randomly selected group, as opposed to parking in front of a particular grocery store and whoever walks in, you stand with a clipboard to read them questions. Um, forgive yes. me if that's like a really ABC kind of, kind of question, but for purposes of random polling, you develop the database of phone numbers to reach. You use all those different times in a way to make this as representative a group and, and random a group as possible. Is that basically what you're after? Sort of, as a clarifying point, I'm not the one who's picking the numbers. So we're actually purchasing um, a list from a couple, well, there's a lot of different survey providers. So the folks who, the scientists, the survey statisticians behind um, the actual sample, um, are there's a bunch of different companies who do it. We go through a company called Donata. They do, they have done some things that are just like truly just amazing that they can do now. So for example, they have a, um, a program called Smart Cell where they can tell when they draw that random sample of, of cell phones, um, they can tell whether where your billing address is versus where your number is. So like, for example, like you could have, my number is still a Pennsylvania number because I'm, I'm from Western Pennsylvania, but my, but my billing address is in Maryland. So I could still get selected into the sample. So they have, there's been so many leaps in like the technology there, um, there's leaps and bounds with this. So it's not as if I'm sitting in front of my computer with an Excel sheet generating random numbers. So we're going out and we're spent, uh, we're, we're purchasing sample from a company that's uh, with, a, with a survey statistician that specializes in ensuring that the numbers that we're calling are both working numbers um, and the numbers that are from here in Maryland um, who come from the appropriate distribution, so I, the distribution in terms of pop, population. So I, the complaint I sometimes get is like, oh, you barely called anybody from Western Maryland. It's not that I didn't, I barely called anybody from Western Maryland. It's that Montgomery County, PG County, Baltimore City and Baltimore County have a ton more people who live there. So of course they're going to, more respondents are going to more appropriately come from those areas of the state. Right. So, so another thing you touched on that I, I think you partially answered, but on, on my list of questions to ask the Maryland famous pollster is, I've heard this before, and I'm sure you have too, people say, well, you know, pollsters, all they do is they reach people on landlines. They're, they're sitting at a desk with an old fashioned, like a dusty copy of the white pages and drawing <laughs> names. You know, when, when I did a, when I did a polling methodology a class, when I was an undergraduate, that's what we did. We took the campus phone book and called students. 
I, I guess there's a bias there, but you already mentioned you're getting both landlines and wireless lines for purposes of trying to reach everybody. So, so that we can dispel that myth too. It's not just, you know, whatever demographics are more likely to have a landline are the ones getting phone calls. And listen, and it's not, it is not just me who is calling mostly sell. Um, if every, like we talk about like quote unquote gold standard polls or really reputable pollsters, there are no reputable pollsters right now who are just calling landlines. So that's like that, like all the lab yep. polls are there. So that is a myth that needs to be dispelled. I don't know why people keep on saying it. It drives me crazy, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, one of the things I, I will say this, the Goucher poll is now primarily a cell phone poll. So I, um, Maryland has a really high cell phone only population. And even those individuals who have landlines, the landline is often the secondary phone. It's the phone you got with the bundle. And so, and the phone that sometimes people don't even plug in. So we're going to go ahead and we're, we're going to call mostly cell phone samples. And you can't listen, you can't get any, anybody under 40, you can't even get on a landline. <laughs> right. It, it seems like there are obvious demographic issues if, if you're relying on one rather than the other. But if you keep that in mind, you can control for those things, I imagine. So, you can. Um, yeah, so, um, I guess since since we're getting in a little bit into numbers, I think everybody who who reads about a poll is familiar with even if we don't all understand what it means, but there's always this little number that's the rider on a poll where mm-hmm. uh, we have you know we have a margin of error, and sometimes it's a nice juicy round number, and some places give us a number with a decimal. We always hear things are you know, margin of error four percent or three point one. I think is, is is your number. Put that in some context for us. Is is that just a function of how many people were contacted, or where does that number come from, and how much should we care about it? You should care about it. Um, it's a function of sample size. So um, it just tells you the the margin of error tells you how much plus or minus like that number could vary. So let's say that your results um, you had. Um, Hogan's approval rating is at 70% plus or minus 3%. That means um, that in reality, that it could be as high as 73, but as low as 67. It's someplace in that bounds. Where people get into trouble when they, uh, with the margin of error is, um, and this is a media thing, um, is that they will have like a candidate that is up one or two percentage points. And then the headline will read something like, you know, Cromer up, um, up in race for governor, but I, I'm actually not up, right? I'm actually within the margin of error. So we're tied. So that is where the margin of error gets you in trouble is that you have to really be careful talking about like what actually is a tie versus which is up or down. And Frank, and the margin of error, I think not understanding what it means or what it means when results fall within that margin of error is what got people, got a lot of people in trouble in 2016, so if you look back at those statewide polls, the ones that missed, um, a lot of the quote unquote misses weren't really misses at all. Rather, they were polls tightening to, with, to being within where Clinton was ahead, but it tightened within those last weeks or so of being within the margin of error. And Trump just beat the margin of error. So like Florida is an example of that. So some really great high quality polls showed him pulling, you know, beating her or pulling within um, one, one or two percent. And if you have an average error on a poll of 4%, well, then that's anybody's game. And so that, those are things to keep in mind. So what, like the, the best way to think of, like when you think about, the, uh, think about a poll, 
Like you always consider what the margin of error looks like, especially when things are close. And another thing to look at and um, is like when we do, now we release, release all of our results by demographic, but I always caution folks that like margin of sampling error is higher for the subsamples. So when I'm cutting down to 491 Dem- 91 Democrats out of the 918, the margin of error associated with that 491 is higher, obviously, than that, that for the full sample of 918. So you should be really careful. That's also why as much as people uh, like will try to push, like, can you release the results spot? Can you give me Kent County? It's like, no, I can't, man. It's like that, the, the sample size is too small um, and I'm not going to release it. And that's, that's why you'll see the grouping I do on our, our cross tabs. So you'll see like I'll drop in together like a central region together or the Western region together. Um, the, that there, and the, the reason I do that is because it gives us a larger sort of sample size. Um, and so the margin of error isn't as high in that subsample. It's just trying to be careful. That makes sense. I mean, and, and, you know, along those lines, I mean, you often hear people too say, well, a poll is no good unless it polls like 50,000 people. I think your <laughs> latest poll is like a thousand and change. Talk about when it comes to sample size, you know, is, is that just junk logic? I mean, it's, I know that the margin of error is going to vary, but you don't need to sample, you know, 6 million Marylanders to, to find out what people are thinking, right? No, you do like, uh, so, um, gosh, I saw this really hilarious tweet and our, um, but her name is Claire Cons. Uh, she, I, I, really funny. She said, like, it's, it's like going on the baking show and expecting um, the people to eat the entire sheet cake to tell you if the cake is good or not. And as much as that sounds delightful and delicious, no, you don't, right. need, you don't need to eat all the cake or even part of the cake. You just need a spoon, you know, a one nice a representative spoonful or a chunk of the cake to tell you what the cake tastes like. Um, and, that, and that's really, I think, the basis of what we, we think about. Now, um, Margin of error is associated with sample size, not population size. Um, and let's say, we, so with our, the reason I did a thousand Marylanders this time is I did want to provide some county breakouts for those larger, those, those four largest jurisdictions. And so I knew that if I bumped the N up to a thousand, I would be able to get at least a hundred plus in each one of those categories, given the population distribution of the state. Um, and I want to do that this time. Um, we won't always do that. So go back to the, the sample size question. So you'll see sometimes on, uh, advocates will release a poll with 400 completed interviews. That's fine. And, they, and then they'll release that with like a top line. There's nothing wrong with that. A 400 completed interview survey gives you a plus or minus of around 5% in terms of margin of error. Um, and that's still a random sample. You can still make generalizations about the population at large, but you just have to keep in mind what the random, that there's a sampling error around that number that's around 5%. The reason you want the, the higher um, margin of error does, is not sort of linearly related. Like it doesn't keep on going down and going down and going down at the same rate as you increase your sample size. So the difference between having like 900, 900 completed interviews and 1,000 completed interviews in terms of margin of error is not the same as between being 100 and 200. You get less and less precision the closer and closer you get like as you go up, 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 up. The purpose of having 1,000 complete interviews versus 800 or 700 or 600 is the, the breakouts. So then you can have a better, then you're able to say, look at these demographics. I have 200, 300 or more cases in each one of these demos. So I can actually make comparisons across demographics. So I can say white Marylanders think differently than black Marylanders about X, Y, and Z, or men think different than women about X, Y, and Z. That's 
that's why you want to bump up that, um, the, uh, the, the number of completed interviews. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that is very good explanation. And, and people oftentimes, I don't think, think about these kind of things. So I think my big takeaway here is that we know that the polls don't always get it right. But to me, it's always better to look at the polls methodology, not just the results. And I would even say that the quote unquote, like the horse race findings are among the least important parts of a good poll. Finding out what issues motivate voters, who is motivated to vote. It sounds like that's exactly what you were getting at with this latest poll. That's why you follow these issues so closely. I mean, would you agree that these motivating factors are more critical to understanding an election and how it might turn out than whether a candidate is up you know, two, five, or, you know, gets out outside of the margin of error, 10 percentage points, it seems to me, you know, how people are going to be motivated to vote and who is planning to vote is way more important. Well, this, the policy stuff is way more important. Uh, listen, I love a good horse race poll. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's exciting. It's really fun when you're the pollster. Um, you know, our first, uh, the gubernatorial race in 2018 was really, I was very excited to do our poll for it. It's, it's the most nerve wracking part of the whole process. But the most meaningful part um, of the process is the policy stuff, because the policy stuff, advocates should take a look at our results and say, you know, what, where do we go from here? So we have to build consensus. Um, we, we, sh- we need to move the public on this issue. So policy advocates should never look at a Goucher poll result and think that opinion is sort of set in stone. Um, they should look at it and ask themselves, how can I move it? So uh, how do I, how do I get the public to support my, like, I know my initiative, right? Like we're on the right side of this issue. How do I get the public there? Because what we, we should have in an American democracy is it, uh, in a representative democracy is government laws that reflect the will of the people and the, the will of the people might not always be there at first, but once you have good advocacy um, and good messaging and you can, and the, you can convince the public that you're right. And that's how you should look at the Goucher. I think look at polls like ours. And that's why it's so important for polls like ours to exist, because it gives an independent snapshot of what Marylanders are actually thinking. So um, I want to pull a couple things together that, that you've said already okay. to try and understand sort of the mechanics of, of building the final numbers within, w- within polls. And I, I, don't know, I don't know if this is something you do as part of the Goucher poll or if this is just something that happens for big, sophisticated horse race polls. But um, I, w- when you end up with, I, I don't know, if, if there seems to be a demographic bias in who actually was willing to take that call. Like you were saying, you're trying to maximize people to get a yes. Someone says, yes, I'm willing to spend the time to answer these questions with you. And you do different times and, and, and so forth to, mm-hmm. to try and ensure that. But if you end up with a whole lot more women than men or a whole lot more people from one region than another, I, I presume that you, you, you want to be aware of that when, when you want to paint the final picture of this is what we think the contours of Maryland look like for something like the governor's approval rating or other statewide political issues. So can you walk us through what you do or maybe what your colleagues do in, in other settings to try and adjust for that sort of thing? If you think there's a skew in what came in, yeah. how do you account for that? Oh, just through uh, through basic oh, basic waiting procedures. Um, so that usually, I'll be honest with you. That's why there's a lot of different approaches you can take to public opinion poll. The two major ones um, are doing registration based sampling, so using the voter list to draw your sample from and calling just voters. 
or you do random digit dialing, which is what the Goucher poll does. Um, I think it's a, it, I, I like this method, random digit dialing, because you can, I, I think you, you do a better job of capturing uh, the Maryland population at large. And we have specific, we have um, population estimates that are provided for by the census, which by the way, take the census. It's so important because of things like this. We need to make sure we have an accurate count, accurate population parameters. Um, One more reason for everybody to go out and fill out your census form if you haven't already. Gosh, hey, I know. I'm so happy with all the lawmakers that are out there promoting it. I'm just, they're, 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 they're doing the good work, man. Anyway. Yeah, no, the census, you know, you're talking to the right people when you're promoting the census. We are huge advocates for the census. Dr. Cromer, thank you so, so very much for being with us today. Is there anything you want to add that we've missed here today? What's the one thing you wish people would know about political polls? And, and what do people most often get wrong besides the stuff we've already covered here today? I think what, um, what, we, what I would suggest to, to advocates um, is that you get what you pay for with public opinion polling. If it was easy for you to create a survey and then toss it online and then get a bunch of responses from social media, like that's not, like, you're getting what you pay for, which is nothing. Uh, and so that I just, my warning to state governments, my warning to county governments is to really be careful and ask yourselves if bad data is better than no data. Um, and I am on very much on team. Bad data is a lot worse than having no data at all. And so they should be, I don't want to see any more surveys from state or local governments that are asking people to weigh in through social media. I don't want to see, I just don't want to see it anymore. It's not good. It's not good data. It's not representative. And it can cause in the policymaking process, it can cause some serious, I think some serious shortcomings and serious problems down the line. So that's my, that's my, what they on your soapbox. That's my soapbox. <laughs> that's good. Hey, we, we invited you to step on top and you, you, you shout. That's good. <laughs> I like it. And Dr. Cromer, for our listeners, where can people find the Goucher College poll? How can folks follow you, Goucher College, on social media? We will, of course, link all of this, but go ahead and tell people where to find it, where to find you on social media. You are a great Twitter follow. Uh, you definitely <laughs> roast those types of polls often, so I enjoy following those threads. But where can people find you? I really don't. Okay, I actually feel bad. I'm not a, I don't think I'm a roaster per se, but okay. Um, <laughs> at Malia Cromer is my Twitter um, and uh, you can find me at Goucher College at uh, uh, goucher.edu backslash poll. You can find all of our former press releases and all of the full methodology statements, and you can check out all those other things. I think it's really good stuff. You don't roast people or accounts, but you certainly Sometimes. roast methodologies, right? There we go. Yeah. Certain things to get you fired up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I feel bad. Like, I would actually feel bad if people thought I was out there just like roasting people on, on social media. Well, I, I don't know that it's a huge army, but there is a medium-sized army of Conduit Street podcast listeners who will, in fact, click on those links and dig up those numbers, look through the cross tabs, look through the latest poll, and will have an absolute feast upon all everything you've said with us today, but also all the things we're able to feed to them through the internet and whatnot. So uh, this will be a bountiful harvest for many of the teeming millions of Conduit Street podcast <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great thank you so much for having me thank you dr cromer we'll have you on next time to talk about guam but until okay. then we'll let you we'll let you go for today if you enjoy the conduit street podcast please go ahead and subscribe that way all these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice you can also follow along on social media 
Facebook, Twitter, and of course, the Conduit Street blog. Until next week, for Dr. Malia Cromer and for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you.